Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. We have a terrific topic today on how to manage an outside owner of a mortgage company, and we have the perfect expert for that, for sure. I have Pat Sheehy, who is president and CEO of Hamilton Home Loans. Prior to that, Pat was with Chase, Black Knight, and Wells. He's done everything in mortgage banking, and I'm thrilled to talk to him today. Hi, Pat. Hi, Pat. Good morning. How are you today? We're doing well, and this is really a wonderful topic, and I'm so glad that you're going to share your thoughts because you've seen everything in mortgage banking. But before we jump into that topic, Pat, how'd you get into mortgage banking, and how did you get into managing? Let's start with that. Well, on the mortgage banking side, Pat, I kind of fell into it. I had just finished my graduate work at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, and I uh, received a master's degree in economics, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, fortunately, one of the professors was a was very good friends with, at the time, the president of the mortgage banking uh, portion of Wachovia uh, oh. over in Winston, North Carolina, a gentleman by the name of George Hayworth. So roughly a month after I finished my graduate work, I went over and interviewed with George, and George and I got along famously. He went to NC State. He played baseball at NC State, and he was a catcher at NC State. Mm -hmm. All three things that I did as well, which was somewhat ironic. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, he says, gee, Pat, I really love you. I wish I had a spot for you. I just don't think I have anything right now. But, oh, by the way, I have a very good friend who runs the mortgage company for First Union. The name of the company is called Cameron Brown Company in Charlotte. I'd love for you to hook up with him. His name is Jim Abbott. A week later, I drive down to Charlotte, North Carolina from Raleigh. I had the interviews with the head of capital markets at Cameron Brown, uh, Carl Mendenhall, and literally the following day, they made me a job offer. Literally at the time, I couldn't even spell mortgage pad, and that is the truth. I had no idea that I lo always loved finance. You know, if I had any strong suits uh, that the good Lord had given me, it was on the financial side. So I fell into a very good situation, and they were great at training uh, young people like me right out of college. Yeah, they were very famous for that. That is actually a wonderful way. Did you start as in the origination or in the financial side? And how did you get into managing? No, I started in secondary marketing oh, uh, really okay. as a trainee. And, you know, six months later, if, if you recall, Pat, uh, there was a lot of whole loan trading being sure. done back then. Mm -hmm. Not everything, Annie, Freddie, mortgage-backed securities. So after about six months, they put me on the road and I literally was cold calling uh, small local banks, regional banks, credit un unions, anyone looking for mortgage assets to see if we might be able to sell to them. And gee, what a great baptism by fire into the into the capital markets area. Yeah, so, it's a terrific way. And actually, in my own background, I was involved the same way. And so it's kind of interesting to hear that. So when did you get to the managing side? Yeah, I got the managing. So I, I started my career in July of 1982, again, fresh out of college. And it was 1987 when I got into management. And I think it was just a matter of, you know, when I when I played sports through high school and college, uh, for whatever reason, I was always voted captain. Mm -hmm. I guess that probably means that some people thought I had some leadership skills. I'm very enthusiastic generally. I love to communicate with people. 
Uh, I'd love to get people excited about uh, a, a goal that needs to be uh, taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the folks that it was at the time, it was at Prudential Home Mortgage Company, which you probably remember, sure. Prudential Life. And uh, that was really my first entree into the management. It's 32 years later, and I'm still in some sort of management slash leadership role in the industry. So, Pam, what was the best advice you ever got? Uh, and then we'll talk about were there books that, that were helpful to you or, or talk about that? You know, probably the best advice I was ever given uh, actually was given by uh, my mentor, Mark Carell. And it was, Pat, it was all about communicating, uh, Pat, communicating and listening to people. And on the communication side, he always said to me, Pat, whenever you think you've communicated enough about a strategic vision, about a goal, about a challenge for the industry, keep communicating because you have to understand that there's going to be a number of people who don't quite get the message the first time, maybe even the second time around. So you need to continue to, to really harp on and focus on what you are trying to accomplish from a communication style. Now on the listening side, you know, my dad shared with me, we've heard this cliche so many different times. Uh, there's a reason the good Lord gave us two ears and one mouth because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. And, uh, you know, I'm one of eight children, so I love to listen to people. I love to get ideas from other people. And, you know, I continue that as the CEO of Hamilton Home Loans today. We spend a lot of time with field salespeople getting ideas as to what we can do better, uh, what products we need to be looking at, et cetera, et cetera. So, Pat, with your long career in mortgage banking, and you have done everything with all kinds of different companies, what was your greatest victory in your career? And then on the other hand, what was your greatest lesson? You know what? I have to say the greatest victory was uh, when uh, when I went to uh, Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, their mortgage, mortgage subsidiary, Chase Home Mortgage. Uh, Dave Lohman, my very good friend, had asked me to come and run the production for the company. It was in 2000, late 2006. And uh, really, if you look at all the business channels back then, Chase was losing money in each and every one of them. So if it's one thing that I like to do is I like to do turnarounds in companies, especially companies that are not making any money. So if you look at all the businesses that I ran back then, which were the correspondent business, the retail business, the wholesale business, and the, and the subprime business, Every single one of them was upside down. And within 12 months, we had each and every one of them not only making profit, making very, very good profit. So I would say that that would be my biggest victory. In terms of my biggest lesson, uh, it was back when I was at Norwest slash Wells overseeing the third-party businesses. We had a huge fraud case out in California that we literally thought that this, uh, the owner of this company was a you know just a tremendous human being, great value system, tremendous integrity, and we find out after about five million dollars worth of botched and fraudulent loans that you know you don't always judge a book by its cover. So, although it's kind of like what Ronald Reagan used to say, trust but verify. So in the mortgage banking space, Pat, as you know, especially in the third party space, sure, better be better be on your toes because. It is a very, very challenging environment, low margin environment, and for you to take a, a significant hit on in terms of fraudulent loans, 
that could basically turn your entire profitability for a year upside down. Yeah, that's actually a great point. And a lot of times when you're in such a robust market as we are now, people kind of forget that. So I think, Pat, that's a great lesson, which leads to our next topic, which I think is really a crucial one. Now you're dealing this whole issue of dealing with an outside investor who really is not from the mortgage industry. What are your thoughts on how to do that? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I'll just mention that our owner is a he's only been in the mortgage space since 2009 and he kind of uh, fell into it. You know, through a friend of his, uh, he's a third generation oil person and will be the first to tell you he knows nothing about the mortgage space. So from my perspective, Pat, I, I think the most important things that are going to be important in all of this is communicate as often and as detailed as I possibly can with him. I, I really view it as a coaching experience. He has a very strong willingness to learn. And I spend a lot of time, not only do we meet monthly on uh, monthly board phone calls, but I meet with him every other week as well to give him updates. So I'm very transparent with everything that's going on in the company, all the good stuff that goes on and all the challenges that we face in mortgage banking every day. I don't want him to be surprised. So the important thing for me in the early stages was really going through with him, what are the key economic drivers of our business? That will, that will either make us or break us. You know, things such as what is our basis point revenue number? What is our expense number? I mean, it's fairly basic stuff, but as you know, it can be very quirky how we look at the revenue and the expense side and the, and the profitability side of the mortgage banking space. So that was important. So, Pat, when you're dealing with someone not from the mortgage space, which tends to be even in a bigger picture, private equity firms, a lot of firms are really not in the space. So how do you explain the boom and the bust of the world of mortgage banking? Well, I, I, tell, I tell my wife all the time, my biggest challenge in this role is to make sure I manage expectations. You know, you go back to 2018, where it was generally a pretty challenging year Fortunately, our company did exceptionally well, but, you know, just letting John know, his name is John Cantor, letting John know that this was a very challenging market. Don't expect us to have the same profit margins that we had previously. And now we look at the boom situation. I saw, you know, the mortgage bankers came out with their third quarter results uh, yesterday, and it looks like profitability. I don't know if you saw this, Pat. Mm -hmm. Profitability is over 200 basis points for, per loan. Right. Which that this industry has ever seen before. So we, of course, have uh, pretty much ridden the wave of all the good stuff that's hap been happening this year as a result of low interest rates. So I keep saying to the owner, please understand, John, this is something that will be short-lived. And we will see a price war like we haven't seen probably since 2004 as a result of this. But let's just take advantage of it and celebrate it while we can. So now you're in the boom market. And so all the conversations are wonderful. But when we move to the bust market, talk about it, the, the managing of expectation, especially from somebody that is probably used to boom and bust, I would think, with the oil industry. Has that been something similar or has that helped you in your explaining? Oh, very much so. I mean, you look at this year in the oil industry, I think at one point in time, a price per barrel went to minus $37. Okay. So it's one thing uh, our owner, John, understands. It's the boom in the bus cycle, whereas at one point in time, he was selling oil for 125 bucks. 
So it, that has made it a whole lot easier. Uh, what's going to be interesting this time, I'm a big believer in gravity. What goes up must come down. And the mm -hmm. higher it goes up, the harder it comes down. So the fact that we're going to be over a $3 trillion market this year, I think we could see some fairly challenging times if and when we see interest rates, you know, going above three and a half, possibly even 4%. And we all know that that will happen at some point in time. I think the challenge for us is to make sure that we have enough variability in our staffing models where we can reduce capacity to levels that are really requisite for the amount of volume that's coming in the door. One of the advantages that we have at Hamilton in normal times, and I'll define you know, the first five years I was part of this company, we were in relatively normal times that, uh, you know, 90, 92% of our volume was purchase transactions. So if I look uh, out over my 38 year career in any year, generally purchase volume is going to be fairly consistent. And when refinances go away, we think we will still be in a very, very good position. Pat, when you're dealing with long-term expectations, that's always an issue with an outside investor. In other words, how do you manage this issue of sometimes they have a short frame of thinking, other times it's they're in it for the long haul, and sometimes there can be opportunities where you exit. And in other words, talk about all of that, because I'm sure that's kind of conversations that you might be having. Well, the one big advantage that we have uh, over a company that might be owned by a private equity firm, mm -hmm. is our owner has a long-term view of this business mm -hmm. very much. Uh, you know, we've been talking about maybe some aggressive growth plans in over a three to five year period, just like a lot of other lenders. I mean, I don't know of any lender who's planning to sure. reduce their pain, but his focus is always making sure the chemistry and the culture of the company remain intact because we're very proud of that. Uh, we've won top workplace awards in South Florida the last four years, top mm -hmm. 10 kind of stuff. But he always says, please do not make short-term decisions that could have imp long-standing impacts on the company. So he's very focused. He's fairly young. He's, you know, he's in his uh, late 50s. I'll call that fairly young based on what I am, yeah. right? And uh, I mean, I think he'd like to see a, you know, 10, 15, 20 year run with this mortgage company that he holds today. And he has no interest in trying to blow the place up. You know, we could have done more volume this year, most likely, but we made the decision that we're gonna do everything we can to keep our employee base at least somewhat balanced between the personal and the, and the career situation that they're dealing with. So how do you handle this issue? Of course, now in our current market, companies are making certainly lots of money. So how do you handle the, in other words, him wanting to take out cash out of the business versus let's now make investments in technology, which is always the biggest issue of when do we invest and how much do we invest? And, and that's obviously yeah. driven by the goals of the outside investor. That's a great question, Pat. And, you know, again, one of the advantages that we have with our with our owner is uh, up until this year, there were other than distributions for income tax purposes. He kept all the money in the company, which gave us a significant advantage in terms of growing the business. Sure. Uh, getting getting warehouse relationships that were necessary for us to be able to grow the business the way we did. We're up about 99 percent year over year in terms of our volume. So 
he his interest level is really about retaining earnings to keep the company strong strong balance sheet i mean i've made it very clear to him john if there's one thing that's really critical in the mortgage mortgage banking space you better have a strong balance sheet and you better have liquidity so i think he has heard that loud and clear and pretty much you know keeps his hands out of the cookie jar so to speak so when you're looking at Pat, this issue of of technology, which I think is a great point, is that lenders have to make the decision: where am I going to deploy the money? Am I going to deploy it with upgrading of technology? And can I operate if I don't do that as a low tech provider? And so, how do you handle that? Because again, I'm not sure that the industry that he's in has the same type of issues where mortgage banking is having to make a lot of investments in technology to catch up. So Pat, in my opinion, there are two very significant changes that have taken place in the last 10 years. Uh, the first one uh, is, is fairly apparent that the uh, Federal Housing Finance Agency, which is the organization that oversees Fannie and Freddie, you know, they made decisions and they've given mandates to Freddie and Fannie that they're no longer going to allow significant pricing uh, disparities between the largest and the smallest of lenders. Okay. That was a huge win for a small independent mortgage banker like us. Right. You know, I go back to the days at Freddie Mac where the G fee differential could have been as much as 28 basis points. That's right. in rate. That's a for basis points in price. So people wonder why the correspondent business grew as aggressively as it did from 2000 through 2010. Well, that's exactly why it happened because sure. of the price advantages. The other significant change that's taken place is the amount of technology that is available today that is cost effective. Back to my days, you know, back in the late 1990s, I was always with larger companies and there were very few opportunities where we could buy software at a reasonable price from a third-party vendor. So what did we do? We spent a couple hundred million dollars trying to create software on our own, okay? Smaller companies were pretty much left in the dust because they didn't have the opportunity either to be able to go to some of these third-party vendors at least cost-effectively right. to buy some of this software. Today, that has been taken completely off the table. The number of solutions that are available, the number of ways that uh, you can pay for the technology is significantly different. We have a number of our arrangements, Pat, where we literally pay for the use of technology on a per loan basis. So the days of paying three, four million dollars for a licensing fee for a 12 or 24 month period of time where you hope the technology is going to work, those days are over. Thank goodness for us smaller guys. What would be the takeaways in how you have and how you educate an outside owner with the mortgage banking world? I think the most important thing is be patient. Understand that he or she or they uh, do not have the level of expertise that you might have as someone who's been in the business as long as I have. And spend time coaching and teaching and being transparent with, with the owner letting them know what could happen, you know, the best things that could happen and manage expectations of the worst things that can happen. I mean, we saw, again, fortunately, we did very well in 2018, but if I recall, roughly 45% of independent mortgage bankers lost money in 2018 right. uh, for the year. So to be able to have that conversation with your owner as an independent mortgage company, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. 
but being able to manage those expectations. And as you and I talked earlier, the fact that our owner is in the oil business and has seen the boom and bust cycle, probably even more than the mortgage space, gives me a leg up on probably some of the other folks in the industry. Yeah, that's really great advice, Pat. And I certainly think I want to thank you for sharing your great advice on this important topic, because I think it's so important to understand what is involved with dealing with an outside investor in your company. And I want to have our listeners certainly subscribe to where you listen to your podcast and rate today's episode. Go to patsherlock.com for our sales services and sign up for our free weekly sales blog. Uh, Thank you so much, Pat. You were terrific. Okay, Pat. Thanks. Have a wonderful day.